Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. And a very warm welcome back to Solidarity Breakfast. A left response to the major developments in capitalism. What they trade in is not wheat. They trade in famine. A little dose of revolutionary optimism. I think it's really important to sort of express solidarity globally. It really is a deal by corporations for corporations. The union forever defending our rights down with the black If you think the ABC's left wing, don't listen to this program. Solidarity Breakfast, 7.30 to 9am Saturdays, 3CR, 8.55am. Streaming and 3CR digital, podcast or audio on demand. And of course, the website, solidaritybreakfast.org.au. Solidarity forever! Good morning, everybody. This is Annie for Solidarity Breakfast, and today we've got an action-packed show. I always say that, don't I? It's because I'm trying to get myself all enlivened because it's uh, I should be in bed and asleep, but hopefully you're out there listening to me and you're awake as well. So we'll share our pain. I love that last song, that uh, Woody Guthrie song. <laughs> um, I'm mean. <laughs> uh, the... Uh, uh, The uh, Marxist conference was on last weekend and uh, we're going to have some um, lovely pieces from there. Uh, If you've been listening to 3CR Breakfast throughout the week, there's been some gems from that uh, particular event. Uh, One of the things that happened was uh, the formal, uh, a sort of a a launch of the uh, socialist group that's uh, going uh, attempting to get a senator into the uh, Victorian Parliament in November and uh, so it was uh, basically a, uh, a speech outlining why they're doing what they're doing and it was to a particular audience, uh, a left audience, a socialist alternative audience and you'll remember that this is a left alliance so that's uh, Socialist Alliance, uh, Socialist Alternative and the Socialists Party together supporting this particular candidate. Uh, They're calling for people to support their attempts to get into the Western Metropolitan uh, Senator's seat, uh, which is quite a possible uh, feat. They're quite uh, intent on this. So I've got... uh, Steve Jolly's speech for uh, to that particular audience for you to have a listen to. Most, not all of it, most of it. Uh, we're going to follow f- with a daily report from uh, or a report from um, the Stolen Wealth Games. Uh, you'll remember that uh, it, this sports event isn't uh, just uh, a hoorah event for uh, white uh, colonialists. It's also an, a time for Aboriginal people. Uh, to represent the the continuing legacy of settler colonialism, and there is a contingent of people outside the games uh, that are expressing this point of view. So we've got some voices from there. We're uh, going to hear from um, Catherine Connolly and uh, about her exhibition Agency Inc. down at uh, Coonahan Gallery. Uh, one of the artists is coming in, Jessica Knight. We should be. Uh, happy to have a chat with them about uh, uh, the personal and po- political imprint, uh, also uh, it as an artistic per- uh, expression for feminist views. It, quite an interesting discussion, hopefully, later in the day. And, uh, of course, Kevin's going to be here. 
as well as uh, we're going up north. We're going to the Red North at the uh, end of the program. So keep coming, keep listening. It's going to be great. In 2016, 3CR published a book to celebrate the station's 40th birthday. Years in the making, Radical Radio, celebrating 40 years of 3CR, is a visually stunning account of the people and ideas that make up this dynamic station. At 300 pages, the book includes hundreds of images and over 50 features on programs, people, music and technology from across the decades. You can get your copy of 3CR's book for $49.50 at the station during business hours at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy. Or online at 3cr.org. .au forward slash shop. Get a piece of your own history. 3CR's Radical Radio is available now. As I said, there was a collective group of people intent on listening to Stephen Jolly, the candidate for uh, the Socialists in the next uh, election in Victoria. It's a big. It's a big move. Uh, working collaboratively is a very big step for different parts of the left, uh, as well as uh, getting a socialist in parliament. I mean, even their notion of actually uh, using parliament as a platform. So uh, you'll remember that, of course, uh, Stephen Jolly's been elected four times into the city of. Uh, it's a Yarra Council. Uh, one of the other members of the coalition is, of course, Sue Bolton, who we've had, we've spoken to recently. Uh, she's been uh, elected twice to the Moreland Council, and they've had lots of runs on the board uh, through those particular uh, uh, places uh, to have useful social change for those people. And so this is the next step, I presume. So here's Steve Jolly. Well, welcome everyone to this session on the Victorian Socialists. Uh, my name is Liz, I'm a founding member of Victorian Socialists. Yay. Woo. Um, <laughs> so, an exciting new project uh, for us and, you know, a united project of the radical left here in Victoria. Um, so, yeah, I'll be chairing and facilitating. Uh, before we introduce our speakers, I just wanted to acknowledge that this event is taking place on stolen land. This is the land of the Gunurung and Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations, and we pay our respects to elders past and present. Uh, we think it's important that uh, all left meetings begin uh, with an acknowledgement of country because uh, that uh, oppression is ongoing, continuing, and there needs to be an ongoing fight, and uh, the left needs to be taking up uh, that fight joining uh, alongside Indigenous people as we try and fight for self-determination. So our speakers today are the candidates that are <laughs> we're running in the uh, upper house of the Northern Metro region for the state election that's happening in November. Uh, so we'll hear from each one of them and uh, I'll introduce our first speaker and that's our lead candidate, Stephen Jolly. Uh, Stephen Jolly is a uh, uh, a socialist, a long-time socialist, uh, has a proud history of you know, fighting to defend public schools, public housing, uh, refugees in those housing, um, and a whole range of other issues around opposing you know, big corporate developments and so on. Uh, he's a four-time elected uh, Yarra City Councillor, uh, and he will be talking, I guess, introducing really what the project is about and you know, what we stand for. So please thank Steve Walton.
Thanks, Liz. This Victorian socialist experiment we see as part, at least unofficially, of an international movement as we see the breakdown of the post-war political and economic consensus and the development of naked capitalism in a form of which we really haven't seen since the 1930s or even since the days of Marx, we've seen all over the world a revival of socialist ideas. In America, the movement around the Sanders campaign, the explosive growth of the Democratic Socialist Alliance, of which the Jacobin magazine, whose editor spoke here earlier today, is a crucial part of, the movement in the UK with Corbyn becoming a self-declared socialist, becoming leader of the Labour Party. It's not so much about Sanders or Corbyn as individuals, but the movement around them that could potentially explode, especially, for example, if Corbyn was to become the Prime Minister of Britain at the next election. Here, Shorten, the head of the Labour Party, are attacking left, trying to copy in their own half-hearted way this attack to the left, and this attack that they've made on rich pensioners, which is not a bad thing, is a pale shadow of the socialism that we need. They're refusing to act against the super-rich who every year get $68 billion in tax credits from the federal government. It's a pale shadow compared to what we're fighting for. To fight back, we in the Victorian Socialists say that the first thing that we have to do is assist with the rebuilding of the most basic organisations of the working class, the trade union movement. We support, therefore, over the course of, the next year, of this year, the campaign by the Victorian and the Australian unions to rewrite the rules. But we also, unfortunately, have to remind many in the trade union movement that it was the Keating government that introduced enterprise bargaining and a two-tier wages system and the restrictions on strike action that the most restrictive here in Australia of anywhere in the advanced capitalist world. We have to remind these people that the rules that we're trying to change were actually introduced by the Gillard government, backed by the Greens, backed by Adam Bant, several years ago. What we say in Victorian Socialists, when they talk about law and order, is that we want an audit of every boss, of every employer in Australia to ensure that they are paying EVA rates, or even are they paying award rates? It's no surprise to anyone in this room that there are hundreds and hundreds of employers in the city of Yarra and thousands nationwide who are not paying even the basic award, who are not paying superannuation, who are breaking the law on a daily basis. We also say a real workers' government, a real pro-working class government in Australia, in Victoria, would start in terms of boosting trade unionism in their own backyard. I would say in all the government departments that they need to see an active trade union delegate, an active union branch, and we need compulsory unionism and a closed shop in every government department. Yeah. Yeah. We need to ensure that every government contract, every infrastructure project is given to a company that's got the appropriate EBA and deal with the CFMEU, the ETU, the Plumbers Union, and not the dodgy companies like Grocon and John Holland and others who are handed over contracts, billions of dollars of contracts, handed over fists by the Labour government at the present moment in time. We want to see jail for industrial manslaughter. You know, as, as the leader of my union, John Setka, the CFMEU, said this morning on Twitter, what type of society is it that we give Steve Smith a harder time 
than Daniel Grollo, whose company led to the death of three human beings outside the CFMU's office on Swanson Street three years ago, who, rather than being charged, has given orders in Australia and is treated like some type of hero. And that, by the way, is one of the reasons that we, early on in the peace in the Victorian Socialists, came behind a campaign about the Eureka flag. It might seem a little bit weird and wonderful to come in behind that campaign, but it was one of the rare examples in recent times where the trade union movement in the construction industry defied anti-union legislation. They said, take down the Eureka flag or you'll be fined, potentially jailed, and now you will not see more Eureka flags on building sites in Victoria than, than you could poke a stick at. It's a, great, it's, a, it's a small example of the type of defiance of anti-union legislation that we think that the trade union movement should be employing at the present moment in time. Mm -hmm. Now, as Liz said, I've been a socialist councillor in Yarra since 2004, having won the last four elections. In that area, there's two groups of people. There's approximately 15% who live on the public housing estates, the massive public housing estates in Collingwood, in Fitzroy, and in particular in North Richmond, which is the biggest one in Australia. And part of my work and part of the work of socialists in that area is working with public housing tenants who are dealing with life and death issues of which the vast majority of people, even in Yarra, haven't got a, really haven't got a clue what they're going through. Recently, or at least, you know, not so recently, a few years ago, we dealt, for example, with a big campaign on the Collingwood estate with residents to clear that estate of cockroaches. They had cockroaches like Cape Town like Sydney, right through the area. Kids were eating the cockroaches. It was absolutely, uh, no, no disrespect to the comrades in Sydney. But as the next resident of Parramatta and Enmore, I can tell you there's more cockroaches than socialists in Sydney, at least at this moment in time. Hopefully that will change over the course of the next period. We've also dealt with education apartheid, where the inner city schools, in the inner city schools in Yarra, there are some schools despite the multicultural nature there, are wall-to-wall -wall white people. Where all the black and Asian kids go to Fitzroy High or Sacred Heart, and kids of, uh, for example, of uh, families from Sudan, Somalia and so on, are not allowed in. We had a massive campaign to try and break that down in Yarra three years ago. We've had campaigns around sports facilities. On those estates, the kids cannot afford to join a sports club the $400 a year it takes to do that. We had a successful campaign for a basketball court in Fitzroy Estate to improve the soccer field at Atherton Gardens in Fitzroy, which is the most used soccer field in Yarra, but it's also the worst, or was the worst soccer field in Yarra. We had a successful campaign, and now I've got to tell you, you walk onto that soccer field now, it's like walking onto Old Trafford. That was another <laughs> small but important win for the community in that area. But most importantly, we held back the attack of the last Liberal government who wanted to sell off the open space, the grass, around the estate at Fitzroy and at Richmond, which essentially are the gardens for those kids. We said that's not going to happen. We organised petitions and lobbies and a massive rally. We won the support of Trades Hall Council to look at the potential of work bans. And the Liberals ran with a tail between the legs and we saved that site. And if you ever drive past Richmond or Fitzroy estate, you will see kids playing You'll see mums and dads enjoying themselves out there. That was a victory for the community and for socialists in that area over the course of the past period. We're listening to uh, Steve Jolly, and he was at the Marxist conference talking to uh, 
an audience that were interested in finding out, and I presume you are too, about the coalition ticket, that uh, left coalition ticket that uh, is being uh, put forward for the uh, Senate in the November state election. It's quite momentous. Uh, let's hear the last part. He goes into the uh, uh, n- the figures. The uh, he looks at the because uh, I mean if you're going to be a politician you've got to look at the figures. Uh, you're on solidarity breakfast with Annie. It's like the last council election. Something happened in Australia that, in my opinion, has never happened before. The combined vote at the council election in the 2016 election, the Greens came first with 36% of the vote for all their candidates. The Labor Party came third with se- with 17% of the votes for their candidates. The six socialist candidates that stood came second with 19% of the vote. If you think about it, that's a phenomenal thing to happen. And it shows that socialist ideas, when it's linked into the community and linked into struggle and standing strong, will earn the support of people, even in elections which are the most difficult terrain for revolutionaries. But now, of course, we're taking it to the next level. We're moving from council to state. We've had a good start. We've drawn together the largest socialist organisation on this continent, Socialist Alternative, also Socialist Alliance, also other individual socialists, also many members of the community, the very thin layer of the left intelligentsia in Australia. Most of them have got involved here, no disrespect. (laughs) We've had the support of the Health Professionals Union, who pay for all those t-shirts that you're wearing. Thank you to them. Thousands of dollars they put into the campaign. We won the support of the United Firefighters Union, two and a half thousand dollars. And there's an announcement that I'm not allowed to make, but you will see on our Facebook page in the next couple of weeks from another union that literally puts that into into the shade and puts this, financially speaking, on a much, much higher level than we've ever had before. Even in areas where socialists, to put it mildly, are weak, Wilsey, South Morang, Epping, all the north uh, east of the electorate, we got page one in the Wilsey leader for an idea to build a recycling plant. We don't have a recycling plant in Victoria, so like colonialists, like imperialists, we take our rubbish and we try to flog it off to a third world country. When China said no, we're now looking for somebody else to take it. Why don't we build one here right now with union labour and apprentices? In a safe way, to, can you imagine you know, all the environmental benefits of recycling are lost when you send it off to China in a boat or a plane? It's ridiculous. And we got page one in the World Senator for that. Next Friday, myself and Councillor Sue Bolton, who will be speaking in a minute, have been invited to address the Victorian Trades Hall Council Executive. This is the first time that I'm aware of that out-and-out revolutionary socialists, as the Victorian socialists are mainly made up of, have been invited into the lion's den of the HQ of Victorian <laughs> Trade Union to get their support, and hopefully we'll have some good news after that. In the next week or two, maybe a little bit longer, maybe three weeks, we're going to be commissioning 1,000 AO posters. If you don't know what that is, they're very bloody big. They will be going all over the sea, putting socialist ideas out to people who otherwise wouldn't have been uh, able to, 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 to see them. So our electoral chances, we'll have to see. The number one thing is that we're going to get socialist ideas across to half a million people. 
470,000 people voted in this seat at the last election. Because of the population increase, there's at least half a million voters. But on top of that, you've got people who are too young to vote, people who don't vote, refugees, people who aren't citizens and so on. You're looking at roughly a million people who will be subjected to our propaganda over the course of the next year. That sounded very negative. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that when you look at the fact that it's a five-seater seat, and the person who won the last spot in the last election only got 2.8% and a certain preference flow, it's quite clear to all and sundry that this is not a flag-flying exercise. We aim to win this and win this well in November the 29th. On top of our industrial relations program, obviously, as you know, we're campaigning on housing. What an indictment of capitalism. In a country the size of Europe, with the population of Holland in the middle of a construction boom, with 200 cranes now in this city alone, we have hundreds living on the streets. We have 40,000 people on the public housing waiting list. We have so many young people, and you know them, some of them would be yourselves, who are couch-serving because they cannot afford to pay the inner city rents or the rents in general in Australia at the present moment in time. Our program is very simple. We want a boost to public housing of 50,000 new units over the course of the next term of government. Yeah. We want rent capping, like they do in Berlin and New York, and like they're beginning to do now in Seattle. We want that debate starting now. So rents, private rents are capped to a percentage of your income. We want inclusionary zoning, so that when a developer comes and puts up 20 storeys worth of units, they have to, by law, have a percentage of low-cost houses as part of that. With transport, we're campaigning for free public transport. But as we know, there's whole swathes of Melbourne that are, apart from a dodgy bus that basically takes you to bingo and back and probably at three k's an hour, they do not have access to proper trains and never mind trams. That is something that we need to expand and create jobs. It'll be great for the environment and it'll, and it'll be so, it'll so much increase the quality of life for people in huge working class areas in the west, but also in the north where we're standing over the course of the next few months. If we don't do this, if we don't do this, if we don't capitalise on the increasing dissatisfaction with the major parties in Australia, the far right will. I don't mean like those idiots like Neil Erickson. I mean a more sophisticated far right that cleverly, opportunistically taps in to, to, to the anger of neoliberal policies and says, rather than blaming you know, the, the, the capitalists, We've got to blame refugees, we've got to blame migrants, and we've seen these type of mass movements develop right in front of us right now in Eastern Europe, and in fact in all of Europe and many other parts of the world. So this is not something that we can mess around with. We have to step in and fill that vacuum, or partially fill that vacuum over the course of the next period. The last point I want to make is what do we do if we win? Well, the first thing that we do is the basics. What I do as a councillor in the city of Yarra is every week we have a stall so that everybody who can come to a meeting, or, you know, because of, they might have a bunch of kids, or you know, they're, they're just, you know, it's just hard to get to, or they're working shifts or whatever, can access a socialist councillor once a week with any issues that they have. We will do a, a, a list of every single suburb in that seat, and on a weekly basis we'll be doing two or three stalls to make sure that, that, the, that, the, that everyone's serviced. We bring out a newsletter every six months that goes into everyone's letterbox with a socialist alternative, with a socialist explanation of the issues of the day. Every Sunday afternoon, we do street meetings. 
uh, on the corner, out on the road, in different parts of the electorate. We will be doing that throughout the whole of the municipality, the whole, I should say, of the seat, if we win that thing. We'll be services the community. In terms of setting up an office, we'll be setting up an office in the CBD with socialist MP, and we will not just deal with low uh, state issues. If you think about it, public housing, which is one of the things that we've been campaigning on, has got nothing to do with council. It's a state issue. And just like you can't have socialism in one, in one country, or you can't have socialism in one municipality, let alone one ward, if we have a socialist MP, we will be using that to advocate and, 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 and comment on everything under the sun, from the war in Afghanistan, to public transport, to whatever issue that might seem minor, we will be campaigning on that. But the most important thing we will do with that is we will use that position to help organise and mobilise the community when they want to fight back. Mm -hmm. People come to me and they go, oh, somebody wants to put eight storeys next to my single storey house. Oh, you know, the council's just decided to close down the childcare centre. They don't really know what to do about it. So what do we do? We help them get a petition, have a public meeting, here's some media connections, Lobby, these are the people that need to lobby. Then we'll organise a rally. And that's the reason, it's not because of some biological reason, that's the reason why in Yarra, the level of community activism and the level of community victories is higher than anywhere else on the continent at the moment. That's why the public housing estates, the three of them in Yarra, are the best serviced. Because the, the, a socialist councillor, rather than just sitting in parliament and making pretty speeches that no one listens to, is using that position to mobilise the community. That's what we want to do. Comrades, today, this meeting, in a sense, marks the end of the first stage of the campaign. The primitive accumulation, the constitution, the getting of the 500 <laughs> members, the pulling together of the already existing land. The third, final stage of the campaign will begin in about September, where we'll all have to work 25 hours out of 24, servicing the, uh, the pre-polls, the 100 or 200 polling booths we have to service, the crazy times that come in the last minutes of the election campaign. But this week starts stage two, the sixth month, the most important section of the campaign, where we get out with stalls covering every festival, with the posters, with the social media, with the public meetings, throughout half a million people. It's going to be very hard. Door knocking, we can't do everyone. But we'll be pinpointing key areas in the seat. And therefore, I'd like to invite you, Jacob from Socialist Alliance, Liz Wall sitting here just to my right, from Socialist Alternative, myself, are coordinating a campaign committee that's open to all our members and all our supporters to coordinate the street work, the outreach work. We've already organised meetings coming up soon with the Kurdish community, with the Tamil community, with the Muslim community, and with other trade unions. There's so much to be done. That first meeting is at 6 o'clock on Wednesday at Trades Hall in uh, Carlton. I'd strongly encourage you to come. We're going to storm the gates of heaven. We're going to win this thing. But even if we don't, we're going to get our ideas out to half a million people. Please join us in this experiment and let's have a really hard year ahead of us. Thank you. There you go. And if you weren't, uh, if you weren't won by that, you're, you're asleep. That's all I can say. You're on Solidarity Breakfast with Annie. And as I promised, we're going to give you a bit of an update on the Stolen Wealth Games, one that's up at, uh, is plaguing our TVs, the sports event, as I like to call it which is up at, on the Gold Coast. Uh, for many Aboriginal people, the Commonwealth Games represents the continuing legacy of settler colonialism in this country. So the Games are an important opportunity for them to, up, uh, to raise unresolved issues on the world stage, like treaty. The colonial project is still alive and well in this country, so Aboriginal people continue to bear the brunt of this 
in the increasing rates of child removal, the overrepresentation of Aboriginal people in jails, life expectancy gaps, homelessness, poverty and violence, the list is long. Aboriginal people make up 3% of the population but represent 70% of prison population, which sort of speaks for itself in some jurisdictions, and around 45% of deaths by violence, including the deaths in custody and top two highest demographics for suicide and youth suicide. So that's a really great thing to start off with. Uh, But um, we've got some voices from outside the uh, arena uh, collected by... Uh, our compatriots up at Full Triple Z. So we're, the first person is uh, Patricia Conlon. Why did I come? Why did I come? Why did I come? Why did I come? So, so I'm just one of many voices, just to, just to let people. No, we don't want to stop the gains. No, that yes, well, there is still issues um, that need to be addressed, and we don't get heard um, by by tackling it um, through departments or through our at local level. We want to show the world that no, no, this isn't the great great country that you all think it is. Um, uh, as we all know, you know our people are still suffering. There's still the gla- no gaps are closing, and no, no matter what issue, whether it's health, whether it's education, you might see all the pretty stuff, but at grassroots level, it's it's still the gap is widening every day. Um, so the reason I come is to support the rest of the brothers and sisters to let them know that yes, we're still here. It's nothing has changed. We're crying out for help, and if we can do it at a national arena, and that's after after we do let them know, little bits do change for ten minutes, and then it goes back to normal again. That's why we got to keep our voices going. Okay, so this year Invasion Day was truly named for what it was in a really, you know, very blatantly like louder. We had a lot of people walking alongside us this year that are outside our community, non-Indigenous Australians. Mm. Why do you think it's important for them to sit down and come down to Freedom Camp over the next two weeks? Why, sh- why, do, why, do, why do they need to be here? Uh, to, to get to know us. Get to know us. Um, we can talk about all the political jargon all we want, um, but... But, but get come down and have a yarn. We don't want to like stop the games, change, change the date. It's that's not our main focus. Our focus is that we want the nation, the rest of the world, to know that we do need change. We need change. We are the the royal blood of these lands. Why aren't we being looked? Why, why are we at the bottom of the barrel? Okay. Do you want to say something about this morning and what was decided at our meeting this morning? What we've actually decided to do and put out this afternoon? 
Uh, well, um, we just all sat down and workshopped all, all morning uh, uh, a media statement because as we were doing in the last 24 hours, um, showing um, the world that we're still here, a lot of people who who do do want to broaden their minds um, have, have stopped and asked us what we're about um, individually. So most of us have lost, lost our voices trying to explain stuff. But we're going to put out a media statement is, is what we're trying to achieve through, through I don't know if you call it protesting, or I think it's just showcasing, um, showcasing and, and telling our story. Yeah, I suppose I think the thing to kind of remind people is it's a cultural camp. Like, mm. that's how it was it yep. has been set up with local council down here and the marine and all the authorities and stuff. So the idea is is this is an opportunity to actually come and hear from us and Who's actually saying? sit with Aboriginal people mm-hmm. and look and participate in our communication protocol, protocols, which mm. is really different because usually the terms are set by someone else. Yeah. Don't don't listen to the media and all the stories, all the negative stories. Come down. You'll be much more um, enlightened if you're just or enriched by coming down, sitting with grassroots Murrays and, and just seeing how we roll. We are here to show the world that Aboriginal Australia has had enough. We have come to reclaim what is rightfully ours. That's the reason why we came to reclaim this world. Show the world that we want to reoccupy our own lands. Not only do we want to reoccupy our own lands, we want to self-govern. And we live in this country today. We wish to be self-determining on what happens to our children's future. Justice No Games banner. So we got Harley 
and his little cousin down here doing the spray painting outline and might I say they're just doing a deadly job. We got Miss Myra over here, she's showing everyone how to use a roller. And Miss Mel, she's giving it putting all the blood on her hands. <laughs> and but in the background there we got our Rob, Meg and Dan Payton um Solomon well on the land rights track. So as you can see, things are coming along nicely. We got one of the sacred fires and the distance. And honestly, I just wanted to show you guys these little kids having a ball. Hi, I'm Aaron Pedersen, and you're listening to 3CR. And thank you very much to Triple, 4ZZZ, Michelle Vakovic, who collected that uh, interview with uh, uh, Pat Conlon, and, Patricia Conlon, and also uh, to Gab from 3CR, who sewed together a, a report from the Stolen Wealth Games to keep you abreast of the what's going on on the other side of the wall. <laughs> and in the studio here on Solidarity Breakfast, we've got uh, Catherine Connolly and uh, Jessica Knight. And they're part of an, uh, an exhibition that's on at the Coonahan Gallery at the moment called Agency Inc. And I've got them in because the theme is irresistible, the personal and political in print. G'day, Catherine. You're the curator, aren't you? Yes, I am. Thanks for having us, Annie. Oh, no problem. <laughs> it's always nice to have... Pe- to share the pain of getting up very early on a Saturday morning, <laughs> especially since it's cold outside. It suddenly got cold. Oh, it's, it's beautiful now. Yeah, yeah, quite amazing. Anyway, tell me, what was the inspiration for this particular... Um, well, partly was reflecting on uh, Brunswick's uh, local history in printmaking, um, and we have some incredible uh, older women and younger women taking up the form, and that's where the the exhibition started was that interest in our immediate history um and then once we got looking it's such an incredible form and there's so many people working in so many different ways um so the starting point was um the Coonahan and even the namesake's legacy around printmaking and locally uh Wendy Black in particular um who's in our collection who's part of Red Letter Press um and then it bled out into all of the people who ended up in the show, which is actually quite a long way where we started, um, and covers as as many voices as there are forms. So the show is super broad um, and, yeah, basically took as uh, – took the content and the themes as wide as we could. Yeah, yeah. Did, uh, were there any surprises particularly that um, jumped to your mind? There weren't so many – uh, well, surprises in making the show, except for that it's quite addictive. <laughs> um, as you said, the theme is quite irresistible um, and it was hard to cut off. Um, we did end up going slightly above the artist number than intended um, because in particular I thought the show was finalised and then I saw Charlotte Allingham's work, amazing work on Instagram for her Invasion Day poster, which is just beautiful. Um, so I had to extend out a bit because could not have that could not not have that work in the show. Um, 
But it's very exciting because art is exciting, but also it, this is about politics unashamedly. People yeah. are saying, I mean, it's a feminist. You, you had a, a public uh, event where you were discussing feminism, struggle, and art. Uh, I mean, this is, uh, you know, in a time when people want to be polite constantly, <laughs> or people are having, uh, being uh, cl- closet feminists as it were, or people are saying that feminism is dead, it's an old hat. You guys are out there flying the flag. <laughs> so uh, t- tell me, uh, Jessica, tell me about what it all means to you. Um, I actually didn't actually think I was very political until I was maybe 30 or so. Mm. Um, I was raised super religious, um, so that's steeped in patriarchy, obviously, Um I was raised Mormon, so it actually took me a really long time to understand that actually some of my uh, frustration was actually very understandable. Um, (laughs) It was actually quite understandable and praying it away wasn't going to fix it or putting my faith in a bunch of old white dudes telling me what to do with my body and all that kind of stuff wasn't going to make me feel better. It was actually completely and utterly moving away from that stuff that actually empowered me in a way that I didn't think was possible. So now I'm a flag-waving intersectional feminist. (laughs) (laughs) Or like trying to – I'm trying to be. I don't like to say that I'm a feminist and so everything I do is great. It's more like I'm trying to be a good feminist. Yeah, this this has obviously been a key to your – to enter into art. Mm -hmm. Yeah, tell me about how – the oh, art. Yeah, yeah. yeah, tell me. So I make uh, zines yeah. with my friend who is the illustrator, Miranda Costa, and we're in the exhibition together, yeah. and that's how we got chosen. So I write about all of this stuff, and she illustrates all of my words. And so we work together in a really beautiful way like that. So in the exhibition, she has um, incorporated some of my poetry about being a feminist and my body, um, I identify as someone with a disability. So that's intrinsic into most of my writing, even though I might not be aware it is, but it's there just in the way I interact with the world. And because I write about my interactions in the world and people's reactions to me and things like that, um, it works really well because then Miranda takes my words and she sees things in it that she identifies with as well, um, feelings of alienation and not quite fitting in and because she also struggles with mental illness even though her illustrations are beautiful and colorful she does that to um, explain how she sees and knows that there's beautiful stuff in the world but she can't always see it and so that's why the art is really bright and beautiful but if you read my writing and you look into it a bit more there's a lot of anger and frustration just simmering you know (laughs) underneath Uh, Which I like. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to say, what effect has it had? You you guys have been working together, Mm. and that is, uh, well, it's a journey of struggle and uh, uh, delight. Yes. One assumes. When you you join forces with somebody who gets what you're trying to do, um, you feel so unstoppable, really. Like, even just the concept or the practice of Miranda Costa and me, we hand-fold our zines and stuff. Yeah. So that is almost some kind of, like, beautiful... I don't know, it's almost... It's this 
beautiful, calming thing that we do together. So it's like we're friends and we're folding these zines and we're making something. I don't really think there's any better way to spend your time. (laughs) What did it feel like, one, to be chosen, because that was your word, uh, and also what affected uh, being part of a a collective, which is what the exhibition is, really. Once everybody gets together, it becomes a collective. Mm. Um, it was amazing and really a learning. It was inc- It's incredibly validating to be chosen to be in something oh, like yes, this. Yes, that's right. <laughs> you know, I mean, I was a kid. I grew up on a farm. I've always wanted to be, like, creative and things like that. But I didn't go to any fancy schools. I didn't... Um, I didn't get to hang out with, you know, artistic elite. I've just been squirrelling away doing it just on my own. And thanks to the internet, people, you know, you don't know who sees your stuff. It's quite exciting. Yeah, yeah. And that's how I got here, basically just doing it on my own, squirrelling away. And then these things kind of can happen and people think it happens out of the blue. But that's because, you know, in any creative thing, people don't see the years and years that you spend just doing it for the love of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, you know, they'd say that, oh, the person, she was star overnight. Maybe if I was a white middle class man. <laughs> hilarious. <it> was... <laughs> Absolutely hilarious. Um, Catherine, uh, it, 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 you, you've got a really interesting role at... Uh, Moreland City Council. I mean, it's it's obviously you're the curator, but uh, and programmer. But you've also got other. Um, you've got another title, haven't you? Yeah, I'm very lucky at the moment to be um, sharing my role at the gallery, uh, where I'm the gallery programs officer. Um, I'm currently working one day a week for um, Moreland City Council, working on their gender equity project. Uh, which is basically their review of their statement of commitment to women. Wow. Um, yeah. Which is a 20-year-old document outlining local gov- our local government's commitment to uh, a future towards gender equality. And obviously it's so timely to review that right now. Um, and we're uh, about a third of the way through the process. We had an amazing International Women's Day event. Stephanie Kamanyana Kandanwake, um, who is a ridiculously incredible woman um, helped put that together and program it and we had uh, an amazing keynote from Scintilla Chinagapi and then we broke out into a hundred women and some men actually sorry uh, broke out into themed tables to to get to work on what we care about in that immediate community towards gender equity and there were very little things equal pay equal housing visibility representation safety um, and as soon as we uh, broke out into those tables, the room was just a quiet hum, and everyone was everyone there was so dedicated to doing the work, and it was just such an amazing space to be in with people that committed. Uh, usually, you know, a big event like that, there's a bit of okay, can we get to the part that we you know need to get to? Um, but everyone really took it seriously, and the, I got to take part in a lot of the conversations and. The issues are a lot of what you expect, like a lot of the same things that we were talking about 20 years ago or 100 years ago, et cetera. Um, but also, you know, some surprises and a lot of conversation around this moment, which I think is a particular privilege to have curated the show at the gallery right That's now. Right. Yeah. Um, and also to be working on a project like this at this second, it's just... Um, Really thrilling and really hopeful, actually. <laughs> You're looking for people for a focus group, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, we are, actually. Um, so 
We really want this to be community driven. So we're hosting a bunch of focus groups. So there's some that are prearranged. Um, uh, so for so for different groups, um, including um, we've had the a Nepalese women's group get together, a Muslims women's group get together. Um, when you say Muslim group, is that I mean because it's like Christianity. Yeah, sure. I mean they came from a whole lot of places, did they, or is it from? Because it's a religion, it's not a... Yeah, sure, sorry. Um, it was a, a beautiful community leader came forward and said she would just like to host a couple of... It's about seven women mm-hmm. um, who live in Coburg, Coburg yeah. North, yeah. Um, and they want to have a conversation around... And they identified primarily by their religion. Yeah. That's the bit that was yeah, interesting, sure. wasn't it? Yeah. Um, and we have a men's group about what they can do to support gender equity. I'm really interested to see... How that goes, what, yeah. what the feedback is. It's a really. Um, I was working on the um, the call out for that, and it's such an interesting space to write for because I'm usually on the you know the other side of doing female identifying and non-binary um, call out. So it was it was incredible uh, being in the in the other shoe there. Um, let's see let's see how we how we went with that um that we'll find be, out in a week or two that will be interesting yeah. to see and i mean there are a lot of good men wondering about what <laughs> to do really right are, now yes. <laughs> well well the th- the point is that there's more fe- female humanoids than there are male yeah. humanoids yeah. and one assumes that uh, it's a construct mm-hmm. this uh this desire to have a slave class, yeah, and we just happened to get it. Yeah, <laughs> we got the trophy. Yeah, we, we got, got the, the Academy Award. Yeah. So, and the other thing about the focus groups is anyone can hold one. So, um, if you if you would like to host one, just get in touch at uh, touch at gender equality at and you can do it in your own home. It can be as small or as large as you oh, want. So, so, you, so this is a bit similar to the. Um, uh, uh, what, what were they called uh, when they were doing um, reconciliation? They had those groups where people just came together yep. and had a chat about these things. Yeah, that's so, it. it's the same motivating it, force. You can do it in your own home. You yeah. can do it. Um, there's no council staff there, or you can have uh, people assist you if you want. But basically, or a book club even. Yeah, it's about being uh, open and direct and not feeling like you're inhibited to talk about the issues that you think really need addressing right do, do, now. Do you give them a kit? Or? Yeah, we do. So oh, there's right. just three questions. Um, and if it's anything like things that I've been involved around feminism, it will start with three questions and I'll take, you know, a whole bunch of exciting conversations in and around that. Um, but the actual focus group is very simple. It's very focused in. Um, but, yeah, we're just really keen for this to be community-driven and That's to actually really fascinating. Su- yeah, support the work. Who came up with this idea? Oh, it was a it was it's a process. A uh, Paula Jorgensen from Moreland City Council has certainly been driving it, um, yeah. and May Header um, uh, did work around what the model would be, mm. um, and May moved on to a different position, and I stepped in uh, for the delivery. Yeah, right. So this is very interesting. It's like the exhibition. Uh, you're coming up with practical means mm. by which to yeah. transfer political notions. Yeah, I, I love that description. That's perfect. Yeah, yeah. it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. I love it. Mm. <laughs> Your girls are. After my own heart. Um, okay, so before you go, um, give that address again for the focus group. Uh, gender equality at moreland.vic.gov.au. Okay, and the uh, exhibition, which is Agency Inc., uh, where Jessica's got her work, that's 
finishing on 15th of April. That's right, yeah. And we have one more public program for that exhibition, which is a lot of fun. It's next Saturday. And it's um, three readings from three female artists from the book uh, Goodnight Stories from Rebel for Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls, Volume Two, um, and that's an event for children and adults. So the artists will be sharing their favourite heroines from that story um, and telling them a bit about why they choose chose those women. Thanks for coming in. Thanks so much for having Thank us. Thank you. A weak solidarity, Bricky team listener, when deja vu. 20 years after the attempt by Chris Lye again and Pat Tricks the workers to lift this country out of the doldrums by lifting productivity on the wharves with the help of a few dogs, the canine kind, and a lot of dogs, the human kind, although that's being unfair to dogs. Sorry, dogs. Human kind trained in Dubai to do an unfair day's work for. And Balaclavas and former Minister for Caring Business Class Relations Peter Root the workers and the little bald-headed bloke who used to be Big Supremo in those dark ages, attempt to bring industrial relations into the 18th century, it's on again. Lazy, avaricious workers at Club the Workers Stevedores are on strike this weekend because Club the Workers has been forced by the evil, evil union to seek to terminate the agreement thanks to the unpatriotic workers refusing to accept a few necessary productivity improvements like sacrificing wages and conditions. Forced to terminate, and that would mean wage cuts of up to 60% showing just how avaricious and overpaid these workers are, crippling poor club the workers. And the deja vu doesn't just end there. The realisation that even more productivity was essential was made when club the workers was taken over by, yep, you got it, good old Chris Lye again. And the evil union is being so recalcitrant, poor Chris was forced to come out Thursday and criticise the caring business class government for not having the courage. Governments were terrified, he said, to introduce the vital caring business class relations and productivity improvement reforms this country so desperately needs to stop it grinding along under the boots of evil union viscosity. Oh, deja vu. Here we go again. Speaking of deja vu, breaking news, a week that was exclusive. The public prosecutor has just agreed with the... Sorry, the police decision not to prosecute the person who killed a couple and their children who were attempting to break into the killer's property. The murdered family had owned the property before the family who killed them seized the property and promptly and legally threw them out. This family attempted to enter the property and terrorise my family on the ridiculous claim that the property had had been their property and they selfishly wanted to move back in, in flagrant disregard for and violation of the law. Their deaths are their own fault because this family deliberately placed itself in danger to force a peace lover like me to kill them. All of our most reasonable attempts to solve this matter have been met with terrorism, with unreasonable demands like returning to what is legally our property. We are more than happy for them to have a home. Their terrorism of my family is so threatening that every night we have been forced to move them on from their gutters to prevent violence against us. The prosecutor praised the family for its restraint. 
My investigation showed that the children of the dead terrorist family threw stones at the property from across the road. I am recommending the family which now occupies the property deserves a medal and commendation for its restraint and limited and appropriate use of necessary violence in wiping out the entire family. The prosecutor did say one unresolved aspect of the occupier protecting the property was the final words, or in fact word, of the dying terrorists. Nakba! We are still investigating what that means. Should any information on that investigation come to light during this broadcast, we'll put it straight to air. Big meeting advertised for last Wednesday, chance for us to hear one of the Cuban Five, the Cubans who went to the US of the UN of the US of the world to investigate assassinations, the shooting down of a Cuban passenger jet and other crimes emanating from the US of, primarily from Miami, but ending up doing 20 years or so in US of prisons for the heinous crime of being Cuban and suggesting the good old US of was conducting clandestine terrorist crimes against Cuba, as if. Just a pity that late change to arrangements. As the Minister for Concentration Camps, Razor Wire and Sink the Boats, Constable Peter Duffer, part of his important role of protecting us from terrorism, refused to let him into the country, denied him a visa. The US of, you know, like, ordered me to, uh, sorry, uh, alerted me to the danger, because like you know, he's Cuban. So I, you know, knew he was a, like, terrorist anyway. Got a feeling Pete missed an opportunity to let him get here, then immediately swoop at the airport and transfer him to life imprisonment on Nauru or Manus. We don't need this, like, comma, you know, propaganda. We need educational speakers like, you know, like persecuted South apartheid white farmers. Different if they were, you know, like a <laughs> South Apartheid Five. <laughs> he laughed, displaying a razor-sharp, you know, like wit. Well, Constable Dutton was, and Her Most Gracious Majesty's land, sorry, a copper, so he'd appreciate how the sensitivity training our forces of law and order undergo is working a treat. How to treat a person with major psychiatric illness. Drag the person out into the lawn, several beefy brains jump on her him, spray her him with capsicum directly into her his eyes while she he is lying under all these beefy coppers, punch the proverbial out of her him, deliver a kick or two just for fun, then show sensitivity and compassion by hosing her him down. Lesson two. If the subject is a person of African, brackets, black appearance, sensitively, sensitively drag her him out and bash the proverbial out of her him. Bit of batten and sharp boots practice. Lesson three. If the person is of Trublawazi black appearance, slam her him into the nearest wall. The important point here because some black armband goody-goodies are suggesting the police actions in these cases may have been just a little extreme, a touch over the top, is that the totally independent, totally neutral, Caesar rendering under Caesar <laughs> complaints committee has looked at these incidents and declared the proud forces of law and order acted most reasonably. And the Beefy Brains Union agreed and said the Beefy Brains had acted with restraint, exercising the sensitivities of their training and that is a good, good union, nothing evil about it. 
we asked our police spokesperson, Senior Sergeant, Sergeant Bernie O'Pig, to comment on silly allegations of police violence. Uh, you know, like, like, you know, like, you know? Uh, thank you, Senior Sergeant O'Pig, lucid as ever. As a by-the-by, the Stolen World Games remind me of that Seinfeld episode in which Kramer is going to karate school and it turns out he's beating up all these little kids. True Blue Aussie, gold, gold, gold. The Deputy Suprema of the Hayseed and Sheepshit Party, Bridget McColsey, supports about half the government's giant mind MPs who have come together to bring balance to the energy debate by arguing for coal to be given its proper place in the energy mix. And to help it attain its proper place, the government should build new coal-fired power stations. Clean, clean coal-fired power stations, totally consistent with the Monash Forum. See, they've named themselves after a big train killer. Forum's rigid belief that all publicly owned power assets must be handed to the private sector. Part of its rigid belief in the market, obviously nothing new there. The government has no place in the business of providing essential services. Well, other than essential services which don't turn over a neat little profit, although government handouts, a bit of corporate welfare here and there, can usually sort out that little problem. But I raise the issue because Bridget did introduce something due to the debate. Our argument is based on science, something new to us. Well, there's the understatement of the week, but but I interrupt. Uh, But Bridget, you've always rejected science. That's not true. We have simply rejected scientists who lack the balance our policy scientifically achieves. Scientifically, if we harness the energy these people put into seeking balance in the mix, we could power the whole country. And Bridget, why did you stroke they call it a forum? Well, obviously, because we're um, for um, coal. (laughs) Very ordinary joke there, listener. One of the Monash group, former big supremo tiny a bit more for the bosses, will be pedal powering past the Hazelwood Power Station Monday as Malcolm equals Tiny's proud record of 30 pole losses in a row. Just one more to steal Tiny's proud record. But just in case people think there's some preconceived plot here, government members have assured us the juxtapositioning is a pure coincidence, as pure as the clean, clean coal the Monash lot know must be in the energy mix. And we can be sure Tiny will respond to the dribbling, orgasmic, thrusting excitement of the media throng descending on Gippsland with a no comment to every question, because he promised he he wouldn't be disloyal to Malcolm and the government. Another Monash alumni, Erica Betts on the bosses, provided the theological argument for coal being in the mix at, say, a finely balanced 98 to 100%. Almighty God and the dear baby Jesus, who is Almighty God, gave us coal. So the long-haired commie greenie campaign against coal is no more nor less an atheistic plot against religious freedom. And finally, we might add on a positive note, clean, clean, balanced coal in the mix will allow the whole world to join the dear baby Jesus lot sooner than waiting for natural causes to do the trick. Good morning.
Hey y'all, this is Natalie from Blue King Brown and you're listening to 3CR. Support community radio and your local music scene. Subscribe now. And you're on Solidarity Breakfast with Annie. And now we're going to the north. We're going to Queensland. We're going to have a chat with Jim McElroy about a book that was launched on in Melbourne, The Red North. How are you, Jim? Oh, good morning, Annie. Good morning. Good morning. I'm actually in Sydney. Oh, you're in I'm Sydney. Partly north, I'm, I'm north of Melbourne, but I'm not actually currently in Queensland. Oh, no, I no. 20, <laughs> I spent 25 years there. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, I, I just actually read the uh, the beginnings of the book, and of course, my head was in the north of uh, Queensland, because as you rightly point out in your introduction to the nor- uh, the Red North, the Popular Front in North Queensland by Diane Maggetti, it is a reissuing, and you've done a, a fabulous uh, introduction to the book to d- describe why it was important to reissue this book. Do you want to give us some thoughts on that? Yes. I. One of the themes that we uh, did with our launch in Melbourne um, um, the, just a few days ago was that um, the lessons that we can learn from that experience, that extraordinary experience of the Red North um, in North Queensland, um, have has quite a bit of relevance for us today. Um, it's, it's, it's something which is not really widely known, I think, among Australians, uh, especially in the South, but also in the North, um, that that area, which is called the Red North, which basically is from Mackay North to Cairns, was the strongest single base of the Communist Party of Australia during the 1930s and 1940s, especially in the 1940s. And that um, and resulted in the election yeah, of Fred I was, Patterson. I was going to say delivered as, yeah, as Australia's only uh, MP to this point. Yeah. So I think it was. It's an amazing, uh, relatively unknown um, period of Australian history. Well, there's a couple of things here. There's uh, because people do uh, forget history, and they also forget how they it dovetails. In, it, certain events dovetail into each other. There were there was a progression, wasn't there, towards this? It didn't just come out of the air. So you've got the Great Shearer Strike of the early 1890s, which yes. was huge confrontation. Yes, really. I mean, historically, I suppose, you, you, relatively speaking, you could say it's the most important industrial dispute in Australian history. It really changed the course of Australian history and led to the formation of the Labor Party um, for good or for evil. <laughs> yeah, Whatever. that's right. And then there's this other thing called the Red Flag Riots of 1919 in the aftermath of World War One and the Russian Revolution of 1917, when right-wing gangs attacked a community of Russian Bolsheviks, refugees in Brisbane, and the Russians and their local labour movement allies fought back. So this is a, a, a this is actually does give us the taste of why the world then and now are similar, like this a rise of right-wing expression of violence. Well, yes, um, that was a unique. Uh, period that was a unique period in Australian history as well. The the only Soviet established in Australia was set up by a group of uh, Bolshevik um, refugees who, who had fled against uh, fled from Tsarism 
and found their way in South Brisbane, which is now uh, the Brisbane South Bank. <laughs> so, um, yeah, there were a, a group of boarding houses there which housed them, and they had their own community centre, and right-wing uh, attack attack came um, sort of mobilised by the sort of forces that actually were involved in setting, eventually in setting up the RSL. Um, yeah, but they had support from the, the industrial... Um, workers of the world and other forces who, who, who repelled the attack. Now, and so, yeah, so that was a really unique, another unique uh, period of Australian history. So it just sort of gives an idea that there was this, uh, it, things didn't come out of the blue. It moves into the 1930s and 1940s and there are very important things going on then uh, there because it, like the Spanish Civil War had an effect. Uh, but there yes. were other local things that were happening as well in Queensland at that time. Yes. If I could just give a, a brief summary of how it developed. What, what, it, there is some evidence that the, the Queensland branch of the Communist Party was possibly the most developed or the earliest development of all the branches. There was um, a lot of uh, uh, toing and froing in, in Sydney and Melbourne in the original establishment of the Communist Party. There were um, different factions involved, but meanwhile, um, it appears that in in Queensland, the development of the party was slowly going ahead, and so you had uh, branches in you know various areas like Mackay and um, Townsville and so on up north, as well as in Brisbane, uh, and they that gradually developed. So that gave them a, a head start in a way. And the other thing, Queensland being somewhat far away from the main centre in Sydney and in Melbourne, um, there was a little bit of independence of the, of the development of the Communist Party so that, um, yeah, by the mid-1930s, they, they developed. And the, and the first big uh, base of the Communist Party was among the sugar uh, cane cutters in, uh, in central Queensland and particularly among uh, Italian um, uh, communist um, cane cutters. So, and the biggest dispute that took place was a battle around wheels disease. Yeah, which wheels is really disease. interesting. Yes, wheels disease was, which you know is relatively unknown now. Yeah. Um, was a very dangerous disease. It was spread by rats that uh, that uh, lived in the cane in the cane, and um, it, it could kill. It did kill a number of workers, and it also caused a serious um, illness. So the cane cutters were determined that the, the way to uh, combat that was to burn the cane. So they were demanding that the cane be burnt before it was cut. Um, but the, the, the sugar content went down when you burned it, so the, the cane uh, field owners uh, demanded that, they get, that the workers get a lower rate. So there was a huge battle to burn the cane, and the Communist Party came in strongly behind the workers. And that's, I think, you know, in many ways where they started... You know, their, yeah, their base in North Queensland. Now, this is classic, isn't it? Because this is what uh, is also something that should be reflected on now. At the beginning of this program, we actually talked about a coalition of left uh, parties in um, the Socialists, the Socialist Alternative and Socialist Alliance working together to get a person into the Senate in uh, uh, the Victorian election in November. And uh, there are similarities to the period that you're talking about and also the actions and focus of the that coalition. Uh, the business about working on within communities 
uh, on their particular uh, issues, and when and at these points, socialists' views beca- get currency, don't they? And they definitely did then, because sure. the other thing was that at the same time you had a conservative Labor government and a compliant AWU. Exactly, that's right. And that that was another factor. So there were sort of push and pull factors, I suppose, in the ability of the Communist Party to build such a strong base. But we also need to look at the... I think we need to look at the individual um, personality of Fred Patterson, who was a lawyer a Rhodes Scholar and uh, came from a relatively... He came from a uh, working-class background, but, you know, he was um, uh, from a conservative uh, viewpoint initially. But uh, he eventually, um, uh, you know, he, he gradually found himself in the Communist Party and he he did, did his um, work among the poor people. He gave... Free uh, advice to the to anyone who was unemployed, and including even Aboriginal people, which was probably you know unusual in those days. He established a base, and the essential uh, operation of the Communist Party at that time was that it sank its roots into the local community and and took up their struggles, and uh, you know they. But at the same time, they were also campaigning around international events like the Spanish Civil War. They uh, uh, gave great support through the Spanish Relief Committee to the um, to the Republican side in the Spanish Civil War and, and a high number of the, um, uh, the, the volunteers who went to uh, Spain at the time came from North Queensland. So, yes, they were establishing a, a really deep base in the local community, and that was really the key to the success of electing Fred Patterson um, in 1944, eventually. Well, there was his, his personality and his personal... Uh, well, you know, he was obviously a person that uh, you could respect, and he walked the talk, uh, but there were a couple of other elements that were also uh, worked together, which was the business about working for community need, but also there was another element which is important. They actually worked with... Uh, the Italian workers and other immigrant workers, they refused to see a barrier. Uh, uh, they weren't being racist, basically. They exactly. saw it as an opportunity. This is important. Yes, that, in, in a sense, um, you know, what, what, I, what I call progressive multiculturalism, you know, in an early phase, that they took up the, uh, the rights of uh, immigrant workers. Of course, that's extremely relevant when you look at the situation in Australia with the the way we're treating refugees and the increasing opposition to um, you know migrant work, more migrant workers coming into the country. Um, in those days, that was a very advanced position that they took, and you know, in addition to the fact that the Australian Workers Union took a, a position of being pro. Um, Anglo workers and, mm. and against the foreign workers. Um, also, you had a long period of a conservative uh, uh, state government in Queensland. So the Communist Party was able to counterpose a progressive, a multicultural position uh, against a, a rather conservative and even even pro-white Australia. Position well, yeah, because it's an, it's, it's, it's an easy uh, free kick to the uh, boss class to pick on another worker. 
Exactly, and that's a very good lesson that we need to learn today. Yeah. Um, and another thing that was probably very relevant to uh, today, when we look at the... You've given the example of Victorian socialists, which I think is a wonderful development, and I hope we can get something like that going here in Sydney. <laughs> um, the yeah, the, the the fact that the Communist Party was very strongly in favour of uh, social social development, public health facilities, public housing, which is a big issue at the moment. Um, all these kinds of issues uh, were really at forefront of what uh, Fred Patterson campaigned for. This at the is... same time, he put forward a general. He he always fitted his his campaigns around individual demands. He put them in the context of what he called principles of socialism. And he, and he also gave speeches in the Queensland Parliament supporting, uh, you know, the general view towards uh, the, the need for socialism as an alternative to capitalism. Uh, I'm just reminded, listeners, that they're on Solidarity Breakfast and we're talking to Jim McElroy about uh, the uh, McElroy about the uh, Red North, a popular front in North Queensland, a book by Diane McGee-Men. Uh, Getty, who's just, uh, it's just been re-released, uh, and it's a fascinating con- uh, look at uh, scholarly work, but easily read, uh, about, uh, believe it or not, uh, Queensland's communist heart. Um, there's this fantastic quote in the uh, preface, which uh, is attributed to Carmel Shute, who was also at the launch a couple of days yeah. ago. She said that... Uh, Implementing, they were implementing a policy of pursuing a united front of class struggle rather than a, a class collaborative popular front of subordination to capitalist forces and interests. I thought that someone should put that on a poster. <laughs> <laughs> if it would fit, have to be a if large it, one. <laughs> no, yeah. That's right. Because uh, they, were, they were out to win, weren't they? They were fighting to win. They were. They were fighting to win. I mean, I should point out also that in this period, not only did... Well, Fred Patterson was the most successful. He built up his support, um, first of all, in Townsville Council. So there was a number of uh, Communist Party councillors elected in, in North Queensland and also, I should add, in other parts of the country. But he used that was used as a base and then he, he ran for federal parliament, got a substantial vote there, and then he managed to win... Um, the seat of Bowen in 1944, and he was re-elected with an even larger majority in 1947. The only way... He won won by 67% uh, primary vote in the second time round. That's amazing, isn't it? That's huge. uh, (laughs) Yeah, so you think think about the fact that, um, you know, nowadays we associate North Queensland, rightly or wrongly, with Pauline Hanson's One Nation Party and things like that. Yeah. So um, we need to realise that I suppose you could say that it was a very polarised situation where you either had, you know, very strong left or very strong right um, politics. And maybe that's the direction we're going in Australia at the moment. Well, so, they do say so. That's what the figures are saying. Uh, interestingly, uh, as we come to the end of this discussion, uh, the the reason for why he lost it, he had a, the seat for quite a considerable amount of years, but uh, then the gerrymandy, gerrymander was put in and it was focused on, uh, Bowen was one of the focus, focus places for in, in order to get rid of him, basically, wasn't it? Yes, yes, indeed. Um, it, it's an irony that the Hanlon 
uh, Labor government eventually were only able to get rid of uh, uh, Patterson by gerrymandering, setting up a system, and that system was then used against Labor for the next uh, 30 years by Joe Bjorkabeach yeah. to keep them out of power. So, so beware, so beware, beware. Goes around, comes around. Yeah. Um, and, of course, I'll mention one other incident quickly, that he was attacked by police when yeah. Patterson was attacked by police in 1948 during the Great Rail Strike in Brisbane. Um, so, uh, you know, he, that, that like, really like the, yeah, it was interesting because is it, was it true uh, from what I was reading there that he was actually standing to the side observing and he was clobbered by the cops? That's right. He was a legal observer and he was just lifting his pen to write some notes and they didn't obviously didn't want him to record the other bashings that were taking place of workers and, uh, and they struck him down from behind and it, it did affect his health for the rest of his life actually. Which is, I'll have to say, you're not in Victoria at the moment, but uh, that uh, we've just had some footage showing the uh, vic- uh, quite a number of Victorian police picking on a uh, physically abusing and f- and picking on a disabled per- uh, 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 person who uh, has was dragged out of his house and then subsequently they had some fun with him. So, uh, which is now being, um, you know, th- there's been calls t- uh, saying that. Uh, uh, the investigation, the internal investigations that the police do against uh, their own members is uh, probably inadequate when all these things are coming to the fore regarding police. Uh, yes, so, I saw that when I was in Melbourne. I, yeah, yeah. I saw that coverage. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, what happened to Fred Patterson, is, there's obviously a long tradition. <laughs> there is a long tradition, yes. And, uh, you know, that's another issue that we need to look at is... is is the development of the justice system, which I'm sure the... And, and, and instead of turning state elections into these law and order campaigns, which we see, each party sort of vying to be the more strong on law and order, we need to look at another way of dealing with social problems, such as... Well, I think... Uh, uh, actually, I think, Jim, what people are failing to realise is that when they talk about law and order and how you've got to be tough on law uh, on uh, order that they're the ones that they're going to be tough on. They always think it's someone yeah. else. It's a bit like that yeah. thing, you know, when they're That's doing right. historical dramas. Everybody thinks they're the lady or the gentleman in the main parlour, not the <laughs> the scullery maid that has to get up at 3am to turn the, do the fires. <laughs> yeah. I think that's hilarious. Now, before you leave, you have to tell me about the actual publication, republication. What, where yes. do people get this book? And yes, okay. Well, it's available from Resistance Books. Um, if you want to order it online, you can just uh, look up the website for Resistance Books, and uh, you can actually order it that way. Or it's available from the Resistance Bookshop in Melbourne, which is in. Um, uh, that's in uh, Swanston Street and Druid's fifth floor, Druid's house. Druid's house, on the fifth floor of Druid's house, the bookshop is there, so it's available there. Yeah. Or, yes, you can uh, uh, look it up on the website. And it costs 25 and, bucks. Uh, and we are now, yes, $25, and we're, um, we're going to doing, be doing launches in other parts of the country, and the next launches will be up in the Red North. We're, we're going to Brisbane, and we're going to Cairns. Uh, to do launches up there as well. Oh, how exciting! We'll be doing one in Sydney as well. So good on you. I think the book, yeah, definitely deserves to be read, and it's an enormous uh, contribution to the current discussion around the future of socialism in Australia. Thanks for talking to me this morning. Okay, thank you, Annie.
Bye. Taking a walk down to the bookstore On a lonely boring day for me Can't wait to see my latest boyfriend Under the covers waiting to be free Green thumbtacks and a pair of scissors I swear we'll haunt your way past three Covering everything but the bedroom window With pictures of boys who beg and cry for me Hot magazine, so lovely And we've come to the end of Solidarity Breakfast. Uh, we've uh, gone all over the place today. We uh, listened to Stephen Jolly talking about uh, the upcoming uh, stoush for uh, the Western Metropolitan Senate seat in uh, the Victorian election in November. They're calling for people to become part of the crew that are going to work very, very hard to be uh, to get uh, that team uh, elected, and they've got every chance of winning. They're they're fighting to win. And uh, after that, we went to the Stolen Wealth Games. We did go to Queensland there. That was uh, the Gold Coast. You might be forgiven that for thinking that the Gold Coast actually isn't in any state. I have actually been to the Gold Coast several times, and every time I go there, I can never actually place myself in any universe. So there you go. And uh, the uh, after that. Uh, we had a chat about what's going on at the Coonahan Gallery and uh, generally speaking what's going on in terms of practical feminism because they're doing focus groups so you should get on board there and uh, the uh, This Is The Week That Was followed by a, a yarn with Jim McElroy about the, uh, McElroy about the uh, Red North. I, I'm dying to call Jim by the actor's name. I can't help myself. Letters, they get out of out of um, control, especially on Saturday morning. The Red North, a popular front in North Queensland by Diane Maggetti. And I'll tell you what, it is a fascinating uh, read and there are lots and lots of similarities about what's going on at the moment or maybe people are just constructing it, I don't know. But there's lots of lessons to be learnt and they were incredibly effective and useful to people uh, at that period of history. And you've got to say that... Uh, there's lots of uh, compelling reasons for why people should uh, involve themselves in uh, a change for the better. Um, I'm going to go out with a long track called Looking for Life. Coming up next is Asia Pacific Currents.
shine on Just a name looking for faith So just looking for life You just looking for life You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.